and welcome to Koshian Cast, the podcast which, like the Blue Wizard, jumped to the shark weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> My name is Matt, and joining me today is a very special guest, Matt. I am impressed you managed to make a joke from Aoyama-kun funny. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly, you know, I had to dig deep, but there it is. Uh, so this is the sixth week of the summer season. We'll be covering every sports anime that aired between August 6th and August 12th. Uh, Matt, do we have anything uh, to discuss up front, or do you want to just jump into the question of the week? I would actually just... I don't think we have anything going on, so I'm just going to ask you a question. Tell me what you want to know. Okay, so this question is from Matt K. of Indiana. Um, <laughs> just shut up, it's from you. <laughs> yeah, I know it is, okay? Okay, so Matt, I'm wondering, have any of the sports anime that we have watched made you interested in further researching a sport? And now, obviously, you can't say baseball because you're already super into baseball. Right, right, right. Um, well... So the, the the first thing that comes to mind is it's it's not since we watched it, but when I watched the first two series of Yawapeda, okay. um, I actually started cycling more then, and I do think it had a direct effect. Um, and I mean, this is gonna sound dumb, but when I would exercise in the morning back then, um, and this was like probably in two thousand. 14 2015 right um i would go to uh, my old gym when i lived in washington had uh, like spin class and i would go to spin class and i would like think about onada pushing it to the limit and, uh, <laughs> i would be like yeah i i would you know start thinking about hime hime and uh yeah it was like, i don't know it was kind of fun Oh, that that's wonderful. I'm I'm really happy you told me that. Yeah. I don't I I don't think I ever told you that before. Um what what about you, Matt? Has has your interest been piqued? Um I'm going to admit uh encouragement has of climb has really got me wanting to go to Japan again and sure. just see mountains. Yeah. Uh I think that would be the biggest effect that any of them have had on me. Cool. Uh yeah. The cool. end. So- <laughs> <laughs> and this is the end of my sentence. Period. Uh, well, with that smooth transition, do you want to smoothly transition into uh, Welcome to the Ballroom? Yeah, sure thing, buddy. Cool. So we are covering ep- episode six. <laughs> yeah, episode. <laughs> so- okay, I'm just going to keep going. Okay. Alright, so we are covering episode 6 this week. It is about uh, Tadara and Mako challenging Gaju to the Tenpei Cup, a an enthusiast cup that's coming up soon. Uh, they are going to practice the quick step, thanks to Sengoku, who says it's the key to, the, uh, to winning that entire cup, because it's a very flashy maneuver. Uh, Tadara is struggling to... Uh, not bump into people on the dance floor upon immediately learning how to use it. Uh, he struggles a lot with that. Later on that evening, Mako and him uh, have a phone call where Mako, in like, basically tells him, you know, he needs to look out better for himself because, you know, he's spending all this time trying to look out for other people and not, like, take care of himself, essentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the episode ends with the two of the with, uh, you know, Tadaro doing better. Yeah. That's what he does. He gets better, right? 
Yeah, basically. So, uh, I think I was a bit more positive on this episode than yeah. you were. Yeah, tell me why, because we, we can start high and then I can go low. Okay. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Uh, I don't know. The series is really selling Tadaro, Tadara and Mako to me as a couple. Yeah. Uh, I actually really hate Gaju. I think the series is actually doing a... Like, I don't think it's unintentional for them to basically be like... You know, Gaju's this giant jerk who needs to be kind of brought down a little bit. Um, I, I, it's not a perfect episode. Mm -hmm. uh, but, like, I really... I think what really sold me on this episode was the phone call between Tadara and Mako. Uh, just because I think it was the first time I've felt like I've actually understood Tadara as a character. You know, there were some nice little character-building moments between the two of them. Like, I love the, you know, he kind of mentions, you know, it's like, you know, my parents are divorced. It's like, you know, that would have been a great character detail to know before. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> like it, it reminds me a lot of that episode of All Out where we finally learn about Gion and his history. And, you know, there's, yeah. always, the, there's always this sort of, like, stuff in the background. Mm-hmm. That was going on, but, you know, it's like, it was kind of played off as a joke. And, you know, this was the first time I ever really, like, felt Tadara's plight. And, you know, that kind of went a long way for me. Um, my concern is, is that they're still going to be pushing Tadara and Shizuku together, which I really don't like. Mm -hmm. uh, just because I think, Ta like, Mako is clearly a far more supportive person. Um... You know, they, she clearly is doing a lot for Tadara. You know, they clearly work very well together. And I don't like the idea that the series wants to push just the main male and the main female together. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, I, I, I wish we were kind of getting more of Shizuku's, uh, you know, kind of her opinion in all of this. Yeah, and so that's, I think, what my frustration comes from. I do think that this episode was definitely starting to get things in a better direction than it had been going early. Uh, I think we're getting a lot more of an education about how the competitions work. Right. We're learning more about how each dance is distinct from others instead of just getting thrown into it. Um, right. And, yeah, we feel like they have to work towards something and they're getting going by incremental steps. Haha. <laughs> Because, <laughs> um, you know, they're starting at this, basically it's an amateur event, no one's going to get any credit for it, but that's, um, Tadara sort of has to start with that, at that level, just to get used to the norms. So right. I, I do like those things, but like you mentioned, I don't totally get what they're trying to do with Shizuku right now, because yeah. she's just sort of present and she hasn't been given a voice for a while uh and re i think it was in episode five that she was like oh i'm done with hyodo because he doesn't take care of himself and you're kind of like right okay and <laughs> and that be and you feel that way because and you know you're joining you're you're gonna dance with gaju because um but very much she's just sort of this passive participant and it, like whether it's Hyodo or it's Gaju or even if it's Tadara it seems like a lot of the time Shizuku is treated as this sort of like silent sexy muse who they just bit. sort of like project their desires onto 
Uh, a little bit. Yeah. I, I kind of thought that was a bit of the point that they were going for with Gaju a little bit. Because, I mean, that was Gaju's whole character. Like, yeah. he, they had that flashback for him. We kind of left that out yeah, of the Yeah, summary. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, can, but, uh, can I just say that real quick? Yeah, yeah. sure. He... They do a flashback so that you can learn where Gaju came from. It shows him when he's like 10 years old and he goes to a, some dance event with his sister and he sees nine-year-old Shizuku there and he's like, oh wow, that girl's so pretty, someday she'll be my partner. And then flashback to present. That's his whole backstory. Right. Is like, one time, six years ago, I thought Shizuku was hot. And she is, you know, like that's but the I, I, yeah. Go ahead. I think that is the point of Gaju's character. I, I don't think that the series is necessarily like trying to espouse what he's doing here hmm. because everything about his character has made him come off as very creepy. Like there's that one moment where they sort where the camera just sort of lingers on, you know, he just like out of like you know these are two people who just met, and you know he just kind of. While they're in like conversation, he places his sh- his hands on Shizuku's shoulders and it, like kind of in this sort of like weird like massage position, you know, like these are like you know acting like he's this familiar with this girl, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, and it, it's clear that this because there are some things he was mentioning talking about like he was telling uh, Tadara, it's like you know it's like you're the lead, so you're like everything's going to depend on uh, on you, Tadara. Or I think he was talking to Mako about that because, you know, Mako was kind of off to the side there as well. And he's like, are you okay with this challenge that he's giving me, giving us here? Uh, because it's like, you know, if this is all going to depend on him because his, he's the lead. And it's clear that he doesn't have a respect for who the partner is. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, he clearly feels as if though, you know, the partner is just there for, you know basically there for the lead so exactly and, yeah the thing he loves about shizuku is that she's able to keep up with him right and that but that's all that he appreciates about that her. and he thinks he, she's hot right no exactly but <laughs> i i think that's the point that they are trying to drive home with gaju and that's what i like yeah it's just i i hopefully will get some other narratives but what bothered me was that mako kind of echoed the the narrative of well i'm i'm your partner so it's my job to follow you so i'll i'll do whatever you do tatara i'm just here to support you sort of like maybe it's supposed to trying to say like oh she's imbibed the the language from gaju but no no one is saying oh actually both partners are equally valuable you know like i just i just want something where it's not all about the dance is there to, like, fulfill Tatara's dream, and that everyone right. else is secondary. Because that's the way it comes across, and it even comes across at the end, where when Sengoku is watching Mako and Tatara dance, he lists off all the great things that is doing, and he's like, he's got all the skills he needs now! And also, there's some girl with him, or whatever. You know, like, <laughs> totally ignoring the fact that she's also what makes them an effective couple you know right he's not out there by himself anyway yeah no i I see what you're saying uh yeah i I don't know i I don't really at this point though i've been so disappointed by sengoku's character generally that i I can't expect him to be like the moral compass of the show 
Right, but he kind of feels like he should be a little bit. Exactly, like, he's I mean, still a voice of, the, of authority. Right, it would be one thing if the series did more to undermine him. You know, I mentioned that last week. That was one thing I liked about episode five was that uh, Tamaki actually, like, undermined him somewhat. Like, uh-huh. you know, she, she was the one who kind of, like, punished him for being like, why are you throwing all of this on Tadara? This was your fault. Yeah. Uh, so we need, I want more moments like that, And but you're right, in this episode we didn't get enough of that because, you know, he needs to, like... He needs. He either needs to be the moral voice, or he need, or the series needs to do more to show that he is not in the right here. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. But that being said, I still enjoyed this episode a lot more because I, I, I don't know. I, I buy. I, this is actually a problem I have as well. Is that I'm afraid that because I don't like that they are doing this challenge because. Like, Mako wants to get back together with uh, Gaju as her partner. Mm-hmm. Or as his partner, rather. Yeah, uh, I, I have a feeling even if they win, they'll be like, actually, we've unlocked a whole new level. I don't want to leave. Whatever. You know, that'll yeah, just well, be another thing for them to... I mean, it, like, li- like, so in Welcome to the Ballroom, like, the whole dancing partner thing, this is clearly meant to be, like, a relationship allegory, mm-hmm. essentially. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's kind of one of those things where, looking at it like that, it's clear that Mako is a much more supportive person. Like, she's clearly a much better, like, person for Tadara than Mm -hmm. Shizuku is. Mainly just because Shizuku is basically just the hot girl. Like, I'm sorry to say it like that, but I mean... Well, yeah, they're not giving her anything else to work with. Right. There are moments where they kind of show... Like, there's this one great moment with with the camera work... Where, while Kyoto's talking about, it's like, huh, well, Sengoku's giving them, like, uh, you know, Sengoku is giving them, uh, like, private lessons. That's strange. And, like, the camera actually is focused on her face. It's, like, an extreme close-up on her face. And you just see her, like, looking away just completely, like, almost dead-eyed to the world. Like, it, it does, it, it feels like everybody is sort of denying her the chance to grieve, almost, because, you know... Yeah. She did have this big breakup with her partner, and everybody is just kind of going out of their way to, like, you know... Ignore it. Fight. Yeah, kind of ignore it. So, yeah. I, I don't know. I feel like that the series could... It, like, because of those close-ups, it does feel like to me that the series does understand this a little bit more than, we, than what it's letting on, but... I don't know. I'm interested. I'm actually interested to see what's going on in Welcome to the Ballroom, which is more than I've been able to say for a while. Yeah, that's a nice change. Um, I'm also interested in Dive, so I'm going to talk about it. Go Uh, for it. Did you hear that pause? That was me preventing myself from saying, I'm going to dive right in. (laughs) Uh, Because I want to do that every freaking time, but uh, I know that I I cannot. I cannot. (laughs) You're making a real splash into punnery there, man. Oh, that was almost that was almost okay. All right, um, <laughs> it was a it was a six. It was a six out of ten. Well, speaking of six, this is dive episode six, and uh, it starts out uh, with Tomo confronting his brother, who is on a secret PlayStation date with his <laughs> with Tomo's girlfriend. Uh, turns out that his brother actually likes Miyu. Miyu may or may not like Tomo's brother. Uh, ultimately, Tomo gets really frustrated by the fact that because he's been so focused on diving, his girlfriend doesn't really want to spend time with him anymore. He skips practice for two weeks because he's depressed 
and he just wants to be by himself. Ultimately, he gets confronted by Coach Asaki, who says that there's a lot of things you have to give up to be great at diving, but that doesn't mean it wasn't worth worth it. Um, and she talks a little bit about why she came to MDC in the first place and exactly what Tomo is capable of. He ends up uh, going to the meet anyway, um, and this is a meet to determine who's going to go to Beijing for the training camp. Um, he dives effectively. He ultimately gets fourth place and pulls off uh, a lot of what he'd been training to do. Um, Yoichi gets first, and Okitsu has a focus of the plot where he decides that he's going to make big splashes and dive his way even if he loses points for it. Right. So, uh, uh, this episode was kind of the inverse for us. You were really excited about it, and I was a bit more cool on it. Alright, let's start low and then we'll go high. (laughs) You know, you can go first sometimes, Matt. It's fine. Now I'm over it. (laughs) Okay, so, uh, I... I kind of felt like we got through Tomo's grieving process a little bit too fast. Just with the time skip? Yeah, just with the time skip. Like, I, I, it sounds weird. I would have liked to have seen more of Tomo's, like, frustrations. Uh, because it kind of feels like we just sort of start this episode and it's like, Oh, Tomo's been gone for two weeks. Better go talk to him now. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> And so it's like, I, I don't know, like, I get that he's just a kid who's, like, you know, frustrated because, like, oh, my girlfriend left me. It's kind of one of those things where it's like, I know at the time it seems pretty bad, but, you know, it's like, it's kind of one of those things that you look back on when you're adult and you just sort of laugh about it. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I, I don't know. I would have liked to have just seen more of his problems because, I don't know, I didn't really feel like... I felt I wanted Asaki's speech to land a little bit harder. Um, I don't know. I don't know about that. I mean, I thought that she pretty much cut to the quick when she confronted confronted him in his room and said, um, "You're not actually depressed because you liked her. If you had liked her, then you would have spent more time with her in the first place. You're just depressed because like." something disappeared and you feel like you don't have control over it. You know, like, you're you're not really depressed about the person. Right. No, no, no. I, I get that. Um, I, I don't know. I kind of felt, like, what I liked about that part, actually, was the fact that Tomo confronted her about it. It's like, you don't know what it's like. And she's like, yeah, you're right. Like, I don't. But, you know, this is something you've been practicing for, so go for it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but... I don't know. I, I did feel like that was a bit too reductive to just say something like, oh, you know, if you really would have want, wanted to do it, you would have done it anyway. Because, I, I don't know, it's kind of one of those things where it's like, <sighs> that feels like an almost teenage view of the world. Oh, a little bit. I don't know. I mean, he is a teenager for what it's right. worth. And I think it's it may not be descriptive of why adults break up, but I think a lot of times it's descriptive of why younger people break up um just for me personally i think like you know i didn't date a lot growing up but when i did usually it would end because i actually like i would tell myself that i wanted a relationship to succeed uh but really i just didn't want to get dumped it like it wasn't that i liked the person that much because if i had i probably would have put more into it i just didn't want to be the kind of person who got dumped and i think that's what he's confronting 
I, and I think that's what I, what I would have liked a little bit more in this episode, actually, is to see more of... The, I think that's kind of why it didn't really land so well, because I really needed to see more examples of why... Tomo... I forgot his name. <laughs> oh my god, I'm so sorry. Oh, I'm good. I don't have to edit it. <laughs> Fair enough. Tomo would have, like, felt like this. Like, I, I, I don't know. Like, it, it feels like I was missing something in there. Like, I, I wanted to see more of him just sort of... Sort of needlessly longing for... Mew, but not... Act I don't know what I really wanted out of that, I guess. Like... Yeah, it... I, I understand where you're coming from. It, it does feel a little bit quick for him to go from being holed up in his room to saying, Oh, you're right. I guess I think that my brother is who I would have been if I'd made different choices. Right. I, I didn't like <laughs> that line either because he literally just says that line. Yeah. Um, one thing I did like about that, though, is when uh, that uh, Hiroya... Uh, states, you know, he's like, did you even notice that she cut her hair? I really liked that moment because I felt like he was talking to me because, like, did she cut her hair? Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> it's like, we've seen her so little that it's like, man, I didn't even realize that was the case, that she had actually cut her hair. And it is kind of good for the viewer because, you know, we've seen her just as much as Tomo has. So right. we are also like, oh, wait, what? You know? Um, so it, yeah. it, it may, it's, it's kind of fun that it creates the sense that, oh, there's this whole world happening that the show isn't letting you see. Right. And, and that's the part I liked about this. That, that was kind of the part I really liked about this episode. And again, I liked the fact that uh, Tomo is going through this issue, is, you know, kind of going through all this. I, I just kind of, I would have preferred it if this episode sort of ended on Asaki's speech, I guess, and then moved on to the big dive competition. I, I don't know. Speaking of which, uh, did you think there was anything particularly interesting in the competition itself? Uh, there was one thing that stuck out to me that I was a little bit confused about, actually. Uh, when, so Okitsu does, like, you know, after Okitsu's uh, first dive. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, Asaki comes up to him and is like, hey, like, why aren't you doing your normal, like, dives? I want you to do those. I just, but, you know, it's like, I want you to try and focus on, it's like, I didn't tell you to, uh, cut that out. And I like that, you know, it's like, it, it's showing, it's like, look, I got you for a reason. I had you join this team for a reason. I didn't, I could have gotten anybody to do what you were doing, uh, up there just now. But there was one line that was really weird, uh, which was, uh, his coach... Akitsu's coach was like, yeah, but his back, and he was like, he's like, no, you can't tell her about it. It's like, it, it was something like, he, w he was really mad that he was telling her about this, and I was just wondering, it's like, did we know that he was having back issues? I don't know, yeah, that was a confusing moment, and I'm not, like, sure whether it's saying, oh, you should go all out even if it hurts, like, I don't know what narrative they're trying to go for there, but yeah, I didn't think they'd established anything like that. Yeah, it's like, did I, mi I, I kind of felt like I had missed something there. Yeah. I don't know, it, it didn't really, like, that part didn't land for me, I, I thought, but I like the fact that, you know, she has that talk with him, it's like, you know, you need to be doing your big splashy dives, even though they're not going to score you a lot of points because, you know, it's riling the audience up and, you know, 
that is what part of this is about. Mm-hmm. You know, and you know, Kitsu does learn something about it. It's actually kind of the first time I've actually liked a Kitsu. It was just that whole comment about his back that was weird to me. Yeah, that's true. I mean, for me, there wasn't a whole lot of depth to the second half of the episode. Um, right. I just enjoyed seeing Tomo succeed, uh, even though, and I also enjoyed the fact that he wasn't suddenly the best, um, <laughs> but that he had improved visibly. Right. Um, that was, I don't know. It, for for me, that was kind of like uh, like an action sequence where right. you, there's not a lot to it, but it's fun to watch. And, you know, I, I'm going to give it a little credit here as well. I'm glad that we didn't spend the entire episode on this, or we didn't have to spend an entire episode on this. Because even though the series is called Dive, and even though, you know, we do cover sports anime here, the sport itself is actually, like, not... Like, watching the sport itself is actually not the interesting part of the series. So I'm glad that we don't have to have very elongated diving sequences. Well, yeah, uh, they managed not to... Because I feel like I understand sorry, enough of it. Yeah. yeah, sorry. It's like, I, yeah, I understand enough of the sport to understand why it matters to the characters. I also appreciate that generally when they do show the dives on screen, they do them at full speed rather than doing all of them in slow-mo while there's an internal monologue about right. analyzing every <laughs> element of it. Because it's, it's a lot cooler when you see it at full speed. Right, yeah, exactly. It's like they managed to get some more out of the animation there, like... It, like, you can actually get a sense of, like, what they're doing, and it does look nice. hmm But, uh, speaking of looking nice... Yeah, no, wanna... you, not every... It doesn't always have to be the last word you say has to segue perfectly <laughs> into the next section. Look, can you just talk about Fastest Finger already? I can. Um, <laughs> so Fastest Finger, episode six, this is, uh, three stories that are all centered on Akihabara, uh... So it turns out that Fukami has taken a job as, you guessed it, a maid cafe waitress um, in order to get money for buzzers. Separately, uh, the Sasajima siblings are shopping for parts for buzzers because this is the only possession anyone wants. Um, (laughs) And uh, Koshiyama and Inoue went to an arcade and they do a quiz arcade machine. They end up getting paired on... uh, doing doing a quiz game against someone else in the arcade turns out it's the only other person in the universe mercuria and they uh so they they have a quiz face to face and uh they aren't able to finish their match because a couple of bullies kick them off the arcade but then a random girl in cosplay chases off the bullies with her fighting game prowess uh and everyone leaves to go to visit Fukami's maid cafe while Koshiyama gets super hyped about having a rival in Makuria, and so he goes home to study. Right. So, uh, I was a lot more positive on this episode. However, you did bring up an element there that might be a yeah. little concerning. So, I think I think we should start with the positive. Okay. Okay. So, uh, I, I, what I liked about this episode was, uh... I like that it felt a bit like a like world building essentially like slice yeah. of life world building like here like I, I like the fact that they mention that uh, you know uh, a lot of people who are into quiz bowl actually go here to play this game because like it's cheaper than having to go with buzzers and you know it's you know it's still roughly a lot of the same rules there anyway mm-hmm. uh, I, I like that too because it's like you know you don't have to be like 
into nerd culture or, you know, be a giant otaku uh, in order to, like, be into Quiz Bowl. But they do kind of go hand in hand. Uh, you know, like, you get kind of the nerdy, like, you know, the book smart people who also get into anime and stuff like that. And so I, I did kind of like the connection there. Uh, there was uh, there was one thing that I thought was also kind of interesting that I just want to bring up as a side note here. Uh, I, I thought it was interesting that they actually mentioned uh, Sega by name because one of the questions was, yeah, like, name the Sega... Dreamcast. Yeah, yeah the Sega Dreamcast. Uh, what's interesting to me about that, uh, Sega actually owns most of the... I don't know if it's most, but they own quite a few arcades around Akihabara and they are actually like the number one producer of like arcade machines around the world uh so I thought that I I think there might be something going on there where Fastest Finger is actually being sponsored by Sega but I like that as well because it does kind of help like it's such a minor detail to even think about like it's not even something that most people would even think about but the like this is probably a Sega arcade machine so that's why they were able to get away with saying Dreamcast um, I like the character building a little bit between Koshiyama uh, and uh, Inoue as well because there's this when they sit down to play at the quiz game, you know, Inoue's like, "Hey man, look, like this is this quiz game, like that's like quiz bowl," and you know he's talking about like the cute anime characters on screen, and uh, Koshiyama's whole reaction is just like, "Oh, this will be great for my studies, like, oh my goodness, more <laughs> quiz bowl stuff," and I kind of just loved Inoue's reaction there because he kind of has just he kind of has this sort of like sullen like. Are you, like, ever off, dude? Like, yeah, can't yeah, you just, yeah. Can we just, like, hang out, man? Like, bros? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I agree. Um, um, I also like seeing them, you know, focusing on, you know, balancing each other's strengths. Right. I, I, I like that at, at no point does it seem like they're competing with each other. Um, right. And it was... It, it did a surprisingly effective job of teaching three new formats of quiz bowl without it seeming like you know an exposition dump right like it felt very natural to the plot like you know these are all forms that they could possibly encounter during the quiz bowl and they're not and they're not too complicated right but it doesn't that the series doesn't have to make an aside and be like okay so that's what this is this form of quiz bowl like this is this type of question in quiz bowl or this type of round in quiz bowl like Mm -hmm. no it's very natural because you know it's just spontaneous it's just part of the game I, it is a little silly that it was Mikiura again who was yeah. around. Yeah, it's uh, always was, Mikiura. I did get a bit of a kick out of the fact that he is actually probably a secret otaku. Yeah, exactly, and he spent the episode trying to deny it. That was funny. It like, and I kind of like the fact that uh, you know he's he's this sort of character because you know again he's in he has this very sort of cocky like sort of like. Oh, like overbearing personality but you know when it comes right down to us he's just a giant nerd like all the rest of them are yeah uh and you know i find that kind of endearing to his character um but matt if you would yeah 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 uh, so speaking of otaku in this episode of fastest finger there is another character who shows up uh goes unnamed but there is a cosplay girl who is watching them play the the, the quiz arcade game she ends up confronting the bullies who kick them off she tells them that if they can beat her in any game then she'll give them whatever they want uh and they do good go to a fighting game and of course she beats them and they run off uh crying or whatever uh and then she confronts the quiz bowl kids 
and kind of starts making fun of them for being nerds and saying like, oh, you're just coming here to do this quiz bowl game so you can study. Like, are you serious? And Koshiyama shoots back like, you know, what's wrong with, you know, working your hardest at something you love? Yada yada. And so uh, she looks at him and she kind of has this creepy expression and she remembers that his name is Koshiyama. What bothered me about it was that... I don't know, and I'm not convinced that this is true, but the right. b- between her manner of speaking and some of the facial expressions and some of the, I guess, body language and the way she was so direct and confronting people, I have a feeling that they're setting up this character to be revealed as a cross-dresser. Right. And so that it's it's a guy who likes dressing up as cute anime girls, but is also, like... A little bit evil and kind of suddenly possessive of Koshiyama and gonna like follow Koshiyama around and they're gonna have all of these wacky reactions about how weird and gross it is that this person is cross-dressing. Um, again, I don't know that this is gonna happen. There's plenty of people who watch the episode, including you, who didn't <laughs> actually pick up on this possibility so right now it's a theory it's definitely not a fact but it seems like the signs are pointing in that direction so i'm gonna have a like i was thinking of this as you were saying it right um there is always the possibility if they turn out to be a cross-dresser there is always the possibility that they it like it doesn't go like the lowbrow you know kind of offensive gay panic type of humor yeah. Um, because what did strike this character, this mystery character, was that Koshiyama was lo- basic was sort of, if they are in fact a crossdresser, he was sort of defending her style of life in a way because he was basically like, well, what's wrong with you know being really into something? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that seems to be what did strike a character uh, chord with this character. Um. So there is always the chance. That this could actually be rather tasteful. It's just knowing yeah, Japan it, sometimes mm-hmm. and knowing a lot of anime, like, it's not generally. Yeah, I agree. Um, and just, there was something about the the sort of, like, creepy grin on this character's face as they left and just muttering about Koshiyama that, like, it didn't seem like this was going to go in a very positive direction anytime soon. Right. Um, but again... Hopefully, hopefully I'm wrong. Yeah, hopefully you're, we're just overanalyzing this. Yeah, um, it's happened before. See it, Tiger it, Mask <laughs> for freaking nine months. Right, you know, and it's just like, I don't want to dislike this series because it's going to end up hurting somebody. Yeah, exactly. Like, I mean, it just, it's it's been a series that has surprised us with being more realistic and being more fun than it should be by its premise and by its design. Um, and if it goes this way, it could really undermine a lot of that by just being lowbrow and kind of lowest common denominator like, yeah, for kind no of reason. Just, you know, making fun of cross-dressers, you know, we don't want that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, but again, like, this show hasn't disappointed me yet. So, I until I get you know, concrete reason to right. believe that it's up to something like untoward. Uh, I'm still going to give it the benefit of the doubt, but right. we'll see. Uh, something else we saw 
was, unfortunately, Clean Freak Ayama Kim. <laughs> okay, so this episode, uh, episode six, of course, uh, had nothing to do with soccer again. Uh, it covered the... Ad- <laughs> or Aoyama. <laughs> or really, just let me let me continue here. Sorry. Uh, so this is about a secret ma- uh, manga author from their class, Ozaki, uh, who apparently is a published... You know, he's very successful manga artist who's like who actually has an anime deal going on uh, for his uh, manga. I want to save the world. Anyway, the entire series, or he comes up with this villain that's based off of Aoyama, and this character gets immensely popular despite everything he tries to do. Uh, eventually, he try he does something so terrible, which is make all the gr- girls in the world fall in love with this evil character, the Blue Wizard, as it's called. Uh, that it's going to, uh, that it plummets the popularity and then everything he does to try and rekindle the popularity of the character gets worse and worse until he finally gets super petty and draws him as the villain again and then everything is forgiven. Everybody loves this uh, blue wizard character again the end. Mm-hmm. Um, so, why don't we start positive, Matt? <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Um, <laughs> so... It's a little uncomfortable for me to admit. Maybe my favorite thing about the episode was that it, it had nothing to do with Aoyama. Because um, <laughs> he, he doesn't add anything to any character. And he's just sort of there. Um, I, I, I thought the premise was kind of funny of this... I, I, I also like the fact that Ozaki is apparently the only person in this universe who doesn't worship Aoyama. Um, right. Because he sees all the same things everyone else sees, and he's like, what is up with this dude? Like, why is everyone obsessed with him? Like, what's he doing to these people? Like, is he playing mind games? I don't get it. Um, and so he, you know, he takes that out, and he creates this character based on what he thinks Aoyama is doing. And, of course, all the same people who love Aoyama love this character anyway, and he can't, he still can't figure it out. Why do they love right. this character? Um, so kind of the, the back and forth of him trying to create this character who would be despicable, but accidentally having people love it. I mean, it wasn't the most original idea in the world, but I thought it was kind of fun to watch. I mean, so here, here's the, the, the be all end all for me is that I have yet, I have not yet described an episode of Aoyama as fun to watch. Uh, I've never said, oh yeah, no, that was that was kind of fun. Um, I've never said that about any of the first five episodes, and I did kind of feel that way at the end. Like I didn't feel like it lasted an hour and a half when it was twenty minutes, which is usually how I feel. Um, and so I think for that alone, this is the best clean freak Aoyama Kun episode <laughs> of all time. Okay, so I'm gonna give this episode credit for one thing. I was really terrified that this episode was going to end with with uh, Ozaki realizing why everybody loves Aoyama, yeah. basically. And that was my major concern. Because, you know, because that the setup was there. Because, you know, it's like, oh, he interprets, like, how everybody does things for Aoyama. You know, it's like, oh, he interprets that as him being, like, this villainous character. But no, Aoyama's just this really deep, good guy. You know, he's just this mm-hmm. really deep, caring guy. Everybody understands and everybody loves him. And I was getting ready to groan about it. The series does actually pull away from doing it. Because what they what uh, Ozaki figures out is that it's his pettiness towards Aoyama that actually does drive this manga. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, and that was, at the very least, that was a joke. <laughs> <laughs> it, it actually felt like a punchline to me, which uh-huh. is not something I think I have been able to say about much else in the series. It actually ended on a unique punchline. That's at least all right. I just... I don't know. I was watching this episode and I was thinking to myself, yeah, Aoyama really is a jerk. Yeah. Kind of. Like, you know, yeah, everybody does all this stuff for him. You know, everybody is like trying to clean up for him. Everybody like praises and loves this guy for no reason. And yeah, I'm kind And he doesn't even acknowledge them. He doesn't praise them for it. He just sort of goes off on his own world. It's like, yeah, whatever. This is, you know, it's like, yeah, I'm, a, I, I'm obsessive compulsive. What? Like, yeah, everybody does things for me, whatever. Uh, and yeah, I- I'm kind of with Ozaki on this. Uh, he's kind of a huge villain. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like, he's kind of a jerk. Yeah, I-, I don't know if I'd say he's a jerk. I'd just say, like, the appeal is complete, like, disproportionate to what he gives anyone else, you know? Right. Yeah, yeah, kind of. And I, I don't know if the series gets any credit for calling itself out. Um... Yeah, like I don't know. It, it doesn't really work for me. I guess. Yeah. Like, so the I, the other thing that I didn't learn until after I'd watched the episode, I was kind of like, you know, it was just such a it was a it was a fine episode, but it was so strange because it didn't involve Aoyama hardly at all, and I was just right. like, what do people think about this? So I actually read the um, weekly uh, episode review from Lauren Orsini, who writes for Anime News Network. Uh, and she pointed out something that I had missed because I hadn't seen this series, uh, was that it was strikingly similar to another recent comedy series called Monthly Girls Nozaki-kun. Okay. Uh, which is about, get this, a high school student who's secretly a famous manga author who bases his manga on the people in his school. Okay. And his name is Nozaki. (laughs) Really? Yeah. And so what she's saying is like, okay, what the author was going for was a parody of this other work using his own characters, but it was just kind of a ripoff and it didn't actually add anything. It just just felt like it was unoriginal and kind of a throwaway. Yeah, that's kind of what I like, because there was, like, we didn't really gain anything, I guess, outside of the insight that, yeah, Oyama is kind of unaware and doesn't realize, or doesn't even, like, acknowledge yeah, that people no, care we about did, we didn't we didn't gain anything. But that, that's, <laughs> that's, like, I'm beyond gaining something from this show. It, at this point, what? it's proven that it's going to be about a different character every week, and their mild to significant interaction with Oyama that changes their life in some way. And that's it. That's all it's ever going to be. Right. It's completely I, I episodic. I, I guess what kind of... Why I... this Because it's like, I really... Because it's like, for you, this was like the best episode today. I really hated this episode. Uh, and I think it was just, to me... For me, it was just because of how unfunny the joke was about, how, about this manga that he was writing, I guess. Like... It just felt like such a surface-level interpretation of mm. shonen manga. Like, because it's, it's like, what is the name of the series? I'm going to save the world. Yeah. Like, that's not, like, I, I get that the joke here is that, like, 
he's sort of like, yeah, this is what shonen manga is. But it's like, I, I don't really feel like you got a decent handle on the gag there. It just kind of feels like you were going with the most base surface level interpretation of what a shonen manga is. Which to me is really a problem because the series is written in shonen jump. Mm-hmm. And the fact that you don't even seem to, like, I don't know, it, it didn't really do any, like, and what are the name of the characters? The Blue Wizard. Like, well, that I, was because it was a pun on Aoyama. Uh, I guess that's fair because I think Aoi is actually, like, blue in Japanese. Yeah. But... I guess, but I, I don't know. It just, it, it felt like a very weak parody of shonen manga. And the fact that it just kept going was just so frustrating. Um, that night didn't really get why people were... Re- I think because of that, it didn't really make sense to me why everybody was just freaking out about this like manga that he was writing. Because it was just such a rote boring manga from what it sounded Matt, like people watch days <laughs> like people demanded a second season of days because they like the story like don't even start saying that like oh it's it's a rote concept and it's not original why would anyone read it get out of here matt you really gonna call me out on the show like this I mean, like, I just refuse to accept the fact that you don't know that's how the world works. Uh, I guess. I don't know. It just, I don't know. It just, it didn't really feel like it was adding anything new to the shonen parody, I guess. Yeah, no, I mean, again, Matt, I'm beyond the, the point of expecting Aoyama to teach me anything or do anything original. Um, all right, all right, fair enough. Yeah, I, I can stop going on and on about how beyond it all I am. I think that's a little uninteresting. <laughs> uh, one thing I do want to talk about, though, just one final thing about Aoyama real quick. Okay. What was what was the point of, like, that five-minute interlude at the beginning setting up Ozaki saving the cats that Mocha was taking care of? Oh, I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea, because you know that's not going to come up again. No, I know. I felt like the series was trying to establish Ozaki yeah. as being, like, like you know, he was going to actually be, like, this actual character in the series, because that was kind of a character-building moment where, you know, he kind of shows his own philosophy of the world. Yeah, and it was uh, also you know. preceded by this thing where these girls are all blushing because Ozaki is looking at them because... They're so flattered because when he looks at something, he looks at it so intently. And it's like, ooh, Ozaki. Um, But that never comes up again either. That he's like somehow a heartthrob or something. Because he's simultaneously this popular guy who girls think is cute. But also he never talks to anyone and everyone's surprised when he speaks. And nobody knows who he is or what he's up to. So I don't know why he can. he's both. Yeah, because I feel like after as after we got past that part, the series just went in this completely oh, yeah. other direction. Yeah, totally. Yeah, you're you're right. I kind of forgot about the whole first five minutes, <laughs> um, which I guess proves your point. Uh, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna move on to the last show of the week uh, in the smoothest transition possible by discussing <laughs> Big Windup episode nineteen. Um, Go for it. So it starts in the the bottom of the fifth, uh, where to- Tose is up to bat. Um, ultimately, they're able to get runners on 
first and third with only one out. Um, Abe tries to induce a pop-up so that they can get a double play at home plate. Uh, he does manage to induce a pop-up by having Mahashi throw a fastball, but the pop the the bunt still lands on the ground. The runner on third is able uh, to score, and now uh, Nishir is only up two to one. Uh, so ultimately, they're able to get out of the inning, only giving up one run. But they don't do anything for themselves in the top of the sixth, and in in the uh, bottom of the sixth, the Tose batters are getting used to. Mahashi's curveball and so they start waiting on it and they're able to get some uh, solid hits and by the time they have a runner in scoring position uh, a bunt is able to do the same thing again they're able to score and even even it up at two runs apiece uh, but Mahashi manages not to get discouraged and he tells his teammates that they can still win it and they're not behind yet right so, uh, this episode was solid. Um, I-, I thought this was a decent character-building episode for Mahashi, though I'm realizing as I'm saying that, that's almost like every single episode up until now. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's not really... I mean, it's a good episode. Like, I-, I like a lot of the interplay there. I like hearing more of the baseball strategy. Um, but I- I- I'm not gonna lie, I'm getting a bit sick of Mihashi. Yeah. Um, not like, not like I hate the character or anything like that, but it's kind of, I'm kind of feeling like at this point, it's like, you know, I, I do kind of feel like it's somebody else's turn to shine. Yeah, I want to hear someone else's voice other than Mihashi and Abe. Yeah, kind of, like, you know, it's great. I, I love the fact that Mihashi ends this episode as kind of being the spirit of the team, you know. Because, you know, Mihashi is, of course, the one who would be the most likely to freak out at this turn of events. Right. Uh, but, you know... And so, you know, it's a great moment where, you know, Mihashi is kind of starting to move past some of his prior nervousness. You know, we, we get a lot more insight about that, about how Mihashi has always had this sort of extreme personality. Uh, thanks to the, uh, thanks to his cousin kind of talking about that with uh-huh. his mother. Yeah. Um, it, it's just, you know, I, I would kind of like to see some of the focus move away from Mihashi and start seeing some of the other players have some kind of big important moments. Mm-hmm. I agree. Uh, I think, I I think what what I liked about it was just that Tose is kind of getting his number. You know, they're starting right. to sort of zero in on him and figure out what's working and what isn't. But well, meanwhile, Nishir is kind of exposing the fact that they're really not as physically prepared for this contest as Tose is. So Tose can sort of adapt in a way that Nishira can't because they have right. more experience and skill so like nishira could start off with a lead because they did their homework but eventually tosei's sort of catching up and figuring them out so nishira is really gonna have to sort of find some way to adapt i like the fact that tajima is really the only one who's able to do it because he's clearly he's clearly gotten the you know junta's number and he's he managed to figure out his whole pitching style he can read his pitches he can read his pickoff moves so every time tajima gets up he's able to get a single and then steal second automatically just because he's identified the pitcher but he can't really explain it well enough for anyone else to do anything with that information um right can i can i uh take a brief aside and tell you my favorite line from the episode please okay so it was at the very beginning uh when mahashi is running back into the dugout 
and he takes the cup off the cooler. I guess there's one cup there, whatever. He takes the cup off the cooler, and he fills it up, and he drinks all the water, and then he fills it up again, and he drinks it, and he says, Boy, that's good stuff! <laughs> and I don't know. There was something about me that I like. I loved how goofy it was that we spent 15 seconds watching him drink water and then comment on how good water is. And like, <laughs> I, I didn't totally know. I didn't. I don't think it accomplished anything. But I love that it happened. I mean, it, it kind of establishes the. Uh, it's kind of one of like those little minor moments during a game that you don't really like notice in other sports anime. You know, they don't. They're yeah. not going out of their way to kind of showcase like the reality of every single moment of the game, which is something that Big Windup generally. Yeah, does. for better or for worse, you see every moment of the game. <laughs> <laughs> um, one thing I will note about this episode. I did not get the gag about Mihashi always looking weirdly at the third baseman until this episode. I told you about that like two weeks ago. You did? Yeah, we talked about this on the podcast where I said, remember, it's like when they meditated. And you're like, oh yeah, I forgot about that. And then you (laughs) forgot again, clearly. (laughs) Okay, well, it's clearly in my mind now, okay? So I'm going to move on there. Okay. Um... Actually, I didn't really have much else to say after that. Yeah, that's fine. There wasn't a whole lot to write home about about this one. You know, the things that worked and were fun about the last few episodes work and are fun in this one. Right. Um, I, I go kind ahead. of feel like you have to view this kind of game almost as its own sort of whole big episode. Yeah. Almost, because I think it almost... Like, this almost like this entire like arc almost feels like it could just be a movie. Yeah. I, I agree. I think by the time we get done with this Tose game, we'll probably say we should have just watched it all in one sitting. Like, just taken two hours or three hours. I don't know how long, how many episodes <laughs> it'll be. But, like, however, however long it is. And I think it might be the most fun to watch each game in sequence. Right. Well, because, I mean, that's what we did when we originally watched it anyway. So, but... yeah. It's good for us to kind of watch it week to week as well to kind of understand, like, yeah, that's probably the best way to do it. Yeah, and also it helps because I think if you do that, it's probably more fun in the moment, but it, like, a lot of stuff blends together. Right. Yeah, um, definitely. Anyway, uh, I think I think that's, a, that's good for this week. Um, I appreciate uh, your time. I appreciate your conversation. I appreciate your thoughts. And uh, I look forward to sharing them with you again next week. Absolutely. See you next week. Our logo design is by James Ratcliffe. The theme music is Fly High by Burnout Syndromes, covered and performed by Luke Bartka. You can follow Koshiencast on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter, and our email is koshiencast at gmail.com. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review. We'll be back next week with the best and worst from the world of sports anime, and until then, keep training.